your girl went to a hockey game. And if you're wondering why am I talking about a hockey game on a music his- history podcast, there is a reason. There's a connection. There is a connection. Um, first off, this was like, besides one random college game, like this was my first professional hockey game. And it was Hurricane uh, Carolina Hurricanes. And it was a great game, by the way. Hockey is so exciting. I love hockey so much now. And just just to give you a little like snapshot, I go in there and they start playing and I'm like, where's the announcer dude telling me what's going on? <laughs> I'm like, where is he? Because it's so quiet and you're just watching. They don't have an announcer? Well, they have an announcer, but then they start playing. I don't know what the fuck's going on. There's no one oh. telling me who's passing to who. It's just quiet. Um, But anyway, so we're watching the game. Uh, it's at PNC Arena, which is where we're going for my chem. And I'm telling you, hockey fans are the funniest people on the planet. Like, the comments that I heard during these hockey games were incredible. To quote a couple of them... It's not, it's a puck, not a puppy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, there was one dude behind us talking about, there was two dudes. They were obviously in college or in their early twenties and they were talking, big chat energy is all I can say. And they were talking about like, man, you got to read this book about investments. It changed my whole life. All and right. I'm just, that was one conversation happening. Um, and then like the fights that broke out were just the most exciting thing ever. Because I just stood up. Like, there was something about seeing that fight. I just stood up. I was like, get him. Get him. <laughs> I was so excited. But I bring this all up because me, Josh, and my brother-in-law, Matt, had an epiphany. Hockey is the punk of the sports world. It is. It's, I feel like, slightly underrated. It's constantly moving. It's constantly angsty. Yes. And there will be likely a fight. And you don't need to know the rules to follow along. You don't need to know the rules to follow along, which I love. Like, I think it's it's fast, faster paced than football. It's more energetic. Like, it has less rules. Whereas football, if you, like, even touch someone's shoulder, foul on yep. the play, these guys did not give a shit. Nope. And, like, literally yeah. whenever, like, the only time they would, like get a penalty is if like the stick was too high or something of all the things the stick was too Watch high your stick. and whenever they go in the penalty box um the hurricane stadium zooms in on the uh the opposing person not their team the opposing person they zoom in and they do the law and order choon, choon, <laughs> and then they go cheaters never win <laughs> and then they go into this like edm thing where they just start slowly going to people dancing like just cutting like choon, 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 choon. That's hilarious. so and there's always this one dude like doing this full body move like and it's just you see him like cutting in <laughs> so yeah so i i think what's appropriate is if hockey is punk what is football it's got to be pop I don't think it's pop. I think it's it's your machine gun, Kelly. Yeah. In love with an emo girl. Yeah. I could see that. They're trying a little bit too hard. And there's so much fakeness around it now that everyone just thinks it's rigged. Yeah. 100%. And then baseball has to be like classical music. Yeah. It, it's it, 
There's really nothing. And also horse racing is probably classical music. Horse racing is classical music. I think baseball is like the Beach Boys. It's still around and you're not really sure why. And then basketball. Basketball is fun. I've never seen a basketball game. Basketball is really fun. It's really simple. Again, you don't really have to know the rules. Like, yeah. you can follow it pretty easily. Is the basketball in the hoop? Okay, cool. They scored. Um, so I think I think basketball is more of pop where everyone has something they enjoy. That's true. That's a good analysis. So there you go. The official rankings of sports. The only way I understand sports is if they're ranked by music categories. Yes. And with this, I am Bethann. And I'm Leah. And this is She Will Rock You. Where are they getting a dub in a CBS executive meeting? No. Bitch, don't touch my thermostat. <laughs> the ghost be like, pull up before I haul you. Let me turn down the thermostat. Who is this man? We're on page one, guys. <laughs> this is She Will Rock You. However, to continue that analogy, boxing is rock and roll. Yeah. As we oh, learned. That's true. As we learned. And <laughs> <laughs> we watched the um, Thor half Thor Bjornsson and Eddie, Eddie Hall. Hall fight last weekend because it's, my husband really wanted to. And it was fun. It was really fun. It was a lot of fun. Eddie Hall does not know how to fight. No, he, he did not, not train at all. He was not good. And Thor, because he played the mountain, you should know that man knows what he's going to do. He also had like six inches on Eddie. So yeah. Um, but we aren't, we aren't here to talk about boxing. We are here and we're here out of order. Yes. If you're paying attention, we always go Beth and me, Beth and me. And you're hearing this one. That's that's me because we had plans to do our second ever two part episode mm-hmm. on Nirvana and Foo Fighters. And last night. So we're recording this on March 26th. Last night, Beth and I are texting and she's like, Nirvana is really heavy. And I was like, oh, don't worry. Foo Fighters are happy. We're going to have a good time. And then we woke up this morning to the news of the passing of Taylor Hawkins, which I just woke up and couldn't. I thought that I wasn't fully awake this morning when I started seeing this because I was like, there's no fucking way that that this happened. Um, Literally last night as I was wrapping up this episode, I had put in there like I haven't seen Foo Fighters yet, but I will next time they tour because they're going to be around forever. So go see your favorite band. Not yeah. the Foo Fighters are my favorite, but if you think you want to see a band, that's go a good see reminder. Just go see them. Yeah, you don't know that they're gonna be here forever. So, um, in memory of Taylor, we are releasing this a little out of order. You're gonna hear Foo Fighters and then Nirvana, um, just because we thought it would be. It was a little too timely <laughs> to record this the morning after his death to not release it first. Um. So hopefully this isn't a super sad episode. Um, the actual band history is not that s- sad, mm-hmm. so we'll, we'll try to keep it light. But uh, the death of Taylor kind of hurts a little bit. I think celebrity deaths hurt more the more you get older because yeah. you've known them longer. Like Right. You grew up with them. Yeah. like I grew up with Foo Fighters as well. When the celebrities of your parents' age die, you're like, oh, that's a famous person I've heard about my whole life. But then when the Robin Williams and the Taylor mm-hmm. Hawkins start dying, you're like, oh, fuck. Like, yeah, mortality's real. Mm-hmm. But yeah, let's just let's focus on the Foo Fighters. So because you are getting this first and because the Foo Fighters would not exist without Nirvana, we're going to backtrack a little bit and just give you a blow by blow on the Dave Grohl of it all. <laughs> the Dave Grohl of it all. <laughs> um. 
And because you haven't heard the Nirvana episode that was intended to be before this. So Dave Grohl was born in January 1969 in Ohio to his mother, Virginia. She's an English teacher. She's like the coolest person in the world. She raised Dave and his sister, whose name I didn't write down, by herself, single mother. They lived in like Reston, Virginia area when he was Mm -hmm. growing up. Um, And she just was like super encouraging them to to be creative and do what they wanted to do and explore things. And like she never really pressured Dave like you have to grow up and be a businessman and work in D.C. Like she just never had that. Which is hard in D.C. because that's your only option. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So he first learned to play the trombone, which (laughs) he didn't think was very cool. Oh, no shit. (laughs) It's not. Sorry, Dave. (laughs) Sorry, Dave. Ska's on its way out. But uh, better luck next time. It did give him that musical foundation um, that he needed. So he quickly moved on from trombone to playing the guitar at the age of 10. But that didn't last very long because he was in a band and like a, a school band. He's 10, 11. And the drummer for that band wasn't that good, quote unquote. And so Dave said, I had it figured out. So I just took over. And the original drummer switched to bass <laughs> because of course he did. <laughs> You're not good enough. Go to bass. So that's where he fell in love with playing drums. Um, and while his mom like encouraged him to you know go out there, be creative, have fun, he always played in a band in his middle and high school years just to have a good time. Like he mm. never dreamed it was going to be anything. He never really saw himself going into the corporate world, but he couldn't really f- see you know drumming is going to be my career. This is my life goal. Uh, he didn't really know what he wanted to do with his life. So you'll see he just takes opportunities and sees where they go, and it ends up working out. He was into a lot of genres and musical groups growing up, but no one inspired him as much as the Beatles. Uh, He was also really into Tom Petty, Neil Young, but also punk rock and hardcore, so... Wide range. He's liking it all. When he was 12, he discovered the legendary prog rock album 2112 by Rush. Mm, That's a good album. Became immediately obsessed. That obsession lasted for like two years, because then when he was 14... He became obsessed with an album called Rock for Light by a DC punk band called Bad Brains. <gasps> Bad Brains! Which, of course, you know. <laughs> I do know Bad Brains. Uh, they were not big at the time. In Dave Grohl's book, he talks about like his cousin made him this illegal burnt CD of this Bad Brains album. And he would talk to his friends at school about it and be like, you got to listen to this. And they're all like, we have no freaking clue what you're talking about. Who the hell are bad brains? Mm. And he just had to have his very underrated band. Bad brains. I had never heard of them until this research. So, um, and according to him, if you didn't know that album, you weren't punk rock. So I guess I'm not punk rock. They were like quintessential. They led the underground punk scene. One of the bands that led the underground punk scene. And they inspired little Davey, little baby Dave, little baby Dave. Um, so in high school, around age 17, he auditions for a local DC band called Scream. Mm-hmm. He lands the gig as their drummer, and he toured with them pretty much nonstop for four years. And when I say tour, I don't mean like glamorous, you're in a bus. They had a van, 
shit frequently got stolen out of said van. Mm. They had a per diem of $4 a day mm. to live on for cigarettes, beer, and whatever the hell they could find to eat for less than that. <laughs> like, it was not a glamorous life by any means, but he did learn... You know, you had to grind to make it in the industry. He did love touring and he loved performing and loved drumming. Um, but it, it taught him those, you know, starting out lessons of it's not overnight success, mm-hmm. which is ironic because Scream eventually breaks up. He goes elsewhere and he ends up in Nirvana mm-hmm. in 1990. And at the time, Nirvana was still an underground group. No one had really heard of them. He didn't expect to be a rock star. He didn't expect this to go anywhere. He didn't even expect to stay in the band for that long because he's their fifth drummer in what, like four years? Yep. So he's like, I'm going to show up, play a few gigs, and they're, you know, Kurt's probably going to kick me out and I'll just go find a new job. Um, and then Nirvana happens. Stay tuned for the next episode on that. Uh, ultimately, it ends with Kurt passing away. Nirvana can't go on. And after Kurt's death, Dave was heartbroken. He watched him spiral for years, suffer through drugs, addiction. He and Kurt became best friends. Um, and he honestly didn't know what the next step was going to be. Like, he's like, I, we can't continue Nirvana without Kurt. That would be yeah. impossible. But what do I what do I do with my life? Because I went from living in a van on tour to international success to now I don't have a band. Um... Kurt's death signaled the end of the grunge era. So he was like, maybe my career's over if I can't be in a grunge band because what am I going to do? He fell into a really deep depression and couldn't even bring himself to listen to any music, much less Nirvana, much less think about starting his own band. He kept getting offers from other bands to come be their drummer. He almost joined Pearl Jam. That didn't work out. He almost joined Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, Mm. which was like his childhood inspiration he turned that down um he started playing with the idea of being a drummer but couldn't couldn't fully commit to it he later said like i was supposed to just join another band and be a drummer the rest of my life but i thought i would do what no one expected me to do and that is start another band so he comes about this project as a way to kind of process kurt's death he's really sad he can't listen to music so what does he do makes music while he was in nirvana with kurt he had been writing songs on the side but he never pitched them to kurt never like mentioned them to anybody because he didn't want to interrupt the vision of the band like nirvana is kurt's band yes and he was the new guy on, on the scene like you don't want to shake the boat so he just kept them to himself so six months after kurt passed away he goes to the studio just to record this experimental solo album he took 12 of his favorite songs he had written over the past couple of years. He played all of the instruments himself, with the exception of the guitar part on Ecstatic, which is played by Greg Dooley. Um, he makes this 12-track album in under a week and doesn't really know what to do with it. It was his way of processing his feelings. He made this thing. He's got it. Like, what do you do now? Um, And he didn't want his name attached to it because he didn't want to ride on the success of Nirvana and people buy it, oh, just because it's Dave Grohl of Nirvana's Mm -hmm. stuff. So he decides to, like, make a couple of these tapes and slap the name Foo Fighters on it. So, A, his name's not attached to it. 
But B, people think that a full band did this and not just a depressed guy in a studio. He, he said, had I actually considered this to be my next step in my career, I probably would have called the band something else because it's the stupidest fucking band <laughs> name in the world. Yeah, how did it come about? Um, so the name Foo Fighters comes from World War II. Soldiers would see these weird floating orbs in the sky and think they were being watched by some kind of German military technology or UFOs. They would have to report them and they were called Foo Fighters. Oh, I still don't really get. That's hilarious. He just randomly chose a name, he not was, knowing if he was going to have to stick with it. Yeah. This wasn't intended to be a band ever. This Foo Fighters is the band that was created by accident, pretty much. Right. Um. So, yeah, he he, did, he didn't want to do Ted Ed Fred. No, that was readily available. <laughs> Ted Ed Fred. Uh, so he releases this album, which they just called Foo Fighters, self-titled mm-hmm. on July 4th, 1995. He made 100 copies of 100 cassettes because it's 1995. Mm-hmm. Um, and he would just hand them out to family, friends. He was close with some of Nirvana's fans. So if he ran into them on the street, he'd just be like, Here's this new cassette by the Foo Fighters. You might like it. <laughs> um, and one of the people he gave a copy to was his friend Eddie Vedder of Pearl Jam. Yeah. Who played that song on his radio show. Oh. Which will play one of the songs. I don't know which one. Um, and caught the attention of everyone. Nirvana fans were like, wait a second. This sounds familiar. <laughs> and labels started reaching out to Eddie and being like, who the hell are these Foo Fighters? Like, we got to sign them. Um, surprise, it's Dave Grohl. Uh, but because they had dealt with the record label capitalistic drama with Nirvana, mm-hmm. Dave knew he didn't want to go through that route this time. And he had some startup money. Like, he had some Nirvana money himself. Mm-hmm. So he makes his own record label in the UFO vein called Roswell Records. I love it. Um, which he had licensing agreements to distribute through Capital to officially release the Foo Fighters album. It sold over 40,000 copies in the first week. Whoa. And charted number three in the U.S. What? UK. UK, yeah. Dude, for a dude in a studio just trying to process, that's pretty damn good. I know. I mean, yes, it is Dave Grohl and has the name attached. Like, it came out that this is Dave Grohl's new band, quote-unquote. Mm-hmm. But like it didn't need to go that hard in the first yeah. week. Yeah, you, sir, sir, you just needed to do some like G, C, D <laughs> chords, get those emotions over those chords. No need to go hard, as you said. No, he went he went a little too hard. Um, so he had no idea that this was going to take off the way it did. Like mm-hmm. it was just an experiment that he was supposed to do. So his label ends up landing a tour, lining up a tour for late 1995. Oh shit! But there's a problem: the band doesn't exist. Yeah, no shit. So they gotta make one. So he fi- he turns to bassist Nate Mandel and drummer William Goldsmith, who were both part of a band called Sunny Day Real Estate. Terrible band name. They had broken up earlier that year, so they were available. He also recruited Pat Smear, founding member of the Germs, touring guitarist for What's Nirvana. His name? Pat Smear. That is unfortunate. Yeah, yes, it is. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. For the for like two years, I thought that name was a joke. Like in high school, it's Pat Pat Smear. It's still unfortunate. Still unfortunate. Um, so he's got he's got four dudes, including himself, make up the Foo Fighters. They make their live public debut 
February 23rd, 1995, at the Jambalaya Club in Arcata, California. That's And then their next public performance isn't for another week. On March 3rd, at the Velvet Elvis in Seattle. And then on March... I don't know what that says. Uh, Foo Fighters made their live public debut on February 23rd, 1995, at the Jambalaya Club in Arcata. I guess they rehearsed for another week, and then they make their second and third appearances on March 3rd and 4th in Seattle and Portland. That show on March 3rd was actually part of that benefit gig to the investigation of Mia Zapata. Mm. That was her second ever show Mm. as the Foo Fighters, which is crazy. crazy. If you want more information on that, go listen to our Muses grunge episode. Grunge episode, yep. Um, and so from all of this, the band becomes an almost instant success and they're like chopping tarts. What are the odds? Topping charts. <laughs> Popping charts. I said chopping tarts. Chopping tarts. They're odd. not chopping tarts, they're topping charts. Uh yeah. Who what are the odds that you strike gold twice? I know. You know? Dave Grohl, best guy ever. Um, but really quickly, Dave was over it. He's like, I didn't want it to happen this way. This was an experiment, like I didn't want this twice. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's he started to refuse to do interviews because when he would do interviews for Foo Fighters, the press only want to talk about Kurt. Right. And he was offended that they were more interested in the death of his friend than the music he was making with yeah, the band. Yeah, totally. Plus, that's traumatic. Yeah. People don't realize how fucking traumatic that shit is. Yeah. It, it was really sad. So I don't blame him for not doing interviews. Um, so they do resi- do decide to release a second album, The Color and the Shape. And for this one, Dave still wrote all the songs himself. But this time the band, because they exist now, would record their own parts. Um, but when Dave gets to L.A. to finish tracking some vocals and some of the guitar parts, he listens to the drum tracks and decided that they weren't what was in his head. So he re-records all of Goldsmith's parts. Mm. Understandably, William Goldsmith did not take this lightly, and he quit the band. Mm -hmm. So they need a new drummer. And so Dave gets in touch with Alanis Morissette's then-drummer, Taylor Hawkins. He drums for Alanis? Yes, he... How did I breeze over that? He played the entire Jagged Little Pill tour, and there were rumors that they were dating at, at one point. I don't know how I missed that in my research. He wasn't there. He was only there for the Jaggy Little Pill tour. He was never a studio musician for her. Okay. Um, I don't know how Dave knew him, but he knew him and he reached out to him and he was like, yeah, I'll play on the record. And then he wound up joining on a permanent basis. So that's how they got Taylor Hawkins. Um, The lead single for that was Monkey Wrench, which is one of their most well-known songs that mm-hmm. was released in April 1977 and then immediately after Pat Smear leaves the band. Goodbye Pat Smear. <laughs> so um, I mean he's only supposed to be there once a year or so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um so yeah they're seeing a lot of changeover in the foods which is why I didn't spend any time on any other member besides Dave Grohl cuz yeah we don't have time for that. Absolutely. Um, Pat leaves he says it's due to exhaustion due to their demanding tour schedule they've been on one tour maybe two at this point it's 1997 like they've only existed for a year and a half but if tour life's not for you tour life's not for you mm-hmm. um, he was temporarily replaced by the guitarist for Scream 
which oh, was nice. the first band that Dave was in. In 1998, the Foo Fighters came home to our lovely state of Virginia to write their third album. However, they start fighting, and the band dwindles down to just Dave Grohl, Nate Mandel, and Taylor Hawkins. Everyone else is gone. They spend several months trying to like crank out this album, but it's just the vibes are not there. Mm-hmm. Everyone is grumpy. Everyone's fighting. There's only three of them. Um and they, they finally finish an album. They call it Nothing Left to Lose, which appropriate title. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were like, okay, we got to replace some of our band members because we can't just survive on three people. So they start auditioning a bunch of other guitarists. And they end up settling on Chris Shiflett, who originally was a part of Me First and the Gimme Gimmies, which is a California, oh, and a California punk band. No use for a name. <laughs> Punk bands, man. They it's either one word or it's just something nihilist. <laughs> one of the two. No use for a name. Um, and he joined them originally just to tour this album, but really quickly they were like, You're our new guitarist, welcome to the club. You're permanent. Around two thousand one, they established a relationship with Queen, the mm. band. Um, and especially Dave and Taylor were huge Queen fans. And it's really cool because in March of 2001, Taylor and Dave inducted Queen, which I think was just Roger and Brian at that point because yeah. John had moved into recluse life, right? into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And then they got to play Tie Your Mother Down with Roger and Brian on stage. I love that. At that ceremony. Uh, fun fact, Brian May actually played guitar on the Foo Fighters' second cover because they've covered this song twice, Pink Floyd's Have a Cigar. Oh, that's cool. Which appears on the soundtrack for Mission Impossible 2. Okay. (laughs) All right. But it is Foo Fighters plus Brian May, so check it out. Very weird um, intermingling of bands. Um, So the band, as all bands do, quickly becomes known for their partying on tour. Mm-hmm. They they look to role models, the Rolling Stones, terrible Ozzy terrible Osbourne, <laughs> worst model, and Motorhead. You you are piss poor role models, <laughs> uh, and started to do what they do. So they start doing drugs, and Taylor Hawkins did struggle the most. And this I wrote this before we got the news, but he almost died like mm. became very close to death in this era. Dave really didn't know how to deal with this because he thought that in order to be a rock and roller, you had to be a partier, but he had watched his best friend die from being a partier and doing drugs. Right. So like he really struggled with this whole partying aspect of rock and roll life. Uh, in no 2002, kidding. they were in London. They went to a bar, band was partying. Nothing was wrong. But the next morning, he gets a call that Taylor had taken an accidental overdose and was now in a coma in a hospital in London. Dave sat by his side for two weeks, did not leave, hoping and praying that Taylor would make it through. And somehow, miraculously, Taylor woke up and made a full recovery. Hmm. Um, After that incident, Dave has not touched drugs since he was 20 because he saw what they did to Kurt and he had to relive this hell all over again. Um... And so he starts to really distance himself from Foo Fighters during this time frame about between 2002 and 2004. 
he goes and works on like a bunch of side quests. Um, he creates an album called Probot, which is 12 songs that he felt were too heavy for the Foo Fighters. Didn't fit the sound, but he was like really into recording and wanted to get these out there. Um, so it's like a side project. Uh, and there's another side project that I think I cover later, but he just, he distanced himself from mm-hmm. everyone because he didn't want to get hurt again, which now really hurts. Um, they do eventually reconcile. Taylor gets over his drug issues. Um, so then near the end of 2001, the band reconvened. Taylor has recovered. All is okay in Foo Land. Um, but not okay enough to the point where they want to release music. They spend four months in the studio recording, re-recording, scrapping, mm-hmm. writing, and they get to the end of this four months and they have an album, but it just, just didn't sound right. And they were like, this isn't going to sell very well. And so they put it on hold. And this is when Dave goes to do his other side quest. So he's finished Probot. He's working on that heavy sound. Dave just fucks off and joins a whole new band. He just goes and joins Queens of the Stone Age. He was in Queens of the Stone Age? Yeah, he helped them write and record the their album Songs of the Deaf. Are you kidding? No. <laughs> I didn't know that. He this was he, I know that's a I know that's a super group, but I didn't know that. Yeah. He just just for the one album. He's not like a permanent member, but he's there. Um and once that album is finished. He toured that album because he's like, I'm not going back to Foo Fighters land. Stuff's not great over there. Yeah. Um, so he just hangs out with Queens of the Stone Age for a while. Um, but eventually Dave, Taylor, Chris, and I forget the, the other guy's name. I just wrote his last name, Mendel. I scrolled too far. They do reunite to play with to play with the band at Coachella that year. Which is a very strange place for them to play, first of all. They're mm-hmm. not a Coachella band, no, but whatever. They're not. Um, and Dave was just pulling double duty at Coachella that year because he played with both Foo Fighters and Queens of the Stone Age. Jeez. He's just, it's it's the Dave Grohl Festival. Dave Grohl is just like, Ugh, I don't know what I'm going to do. Let's just go do this. Let's just go start another side quest. Yeah. Um, and while they're at Coachella, Taylor and Dave kind of meet. They talk about stuff they reconcile their differences all as well they're like hey let's go back to work on that album they performed really well together at Coachella the band is vibing again and they decide that you know what we're not going to break up like all the media is reporting we're going to go back to studio and finish one by one Mm -hmm. which is their their next album so they scrap everything they spent four months recording and start over which is probably for the best yeah um, the only song they saved was Tired of You, which is very ironic. <laughs> um, but they record the whole new album in a 10-day stretch at Dave's home studio in Alexandria. Release it in October 2002. And this would be like their quintessential album. It's the first one to win them a Grammy. Oh, nice. Is this the one with the neck tattoo? I get their covers mixed up. Let me let me consult Spotify. They actually have a lot of albums. Uh, one by one is the Weird Heart album. Oh, okay, gotcha. I think the tattoo one is Foo Fighters. I think that's the original album. Okay, I may be wrong. Um, they have a lot of albums. They do have a lot of albums. The only one I've memorized is the Bomb one for the Pretender. That's yeah. It. 
That's the only one. And they have a bunch of greatest hits collections too. So like it makes yeah. it extra confusing. Yeah, 100%. Um, so there's an, there is the original version that they scrapped of One by One. It does exist. The band calls that the million dollar demos because they spent so much time and money making them. Mm-hmm. And they held on to them, but they never intended to release it. But someone leaked it online in 2012. <laughs> As you do. Um, I feel like one day they will release the million dollar demos because that's a good like throwback box set. Yeah, they got to do it for like a 20th anniversary or something. Yeah. Interestingly enough, the band doesn't really believe in anniversary shows or anniversary box sets. I was reading an article on that last night Um, because this year, last year would have been their 20th anniversary or something and dave girl was like nah fuck that we're just gonna go on a normal tour <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so in 2004 2002 is when this album is released things are pretty chill um in 2004 george w bush starts using times like these at rallies and this is where the band starts to take a political stance they don't necessarily say you can't use this song at your rally instead dave Grohl was like I'm putting all my support behind John Kerry and you can't stop me. He said, there's no way to stop the president playing your songs. So I went out and played it for John Kerry's people instead, where I thought the message would kind of make more sense. (laughs) But it was really cool. He would go to these rallies and he would, he would obviously be there and show his support, but he would play like impromptu acoustic sets for people at the rallies, which hell yeah, John Kerry rally and impromptu Dave Grohl concert. Good way to go. Sounds like a fun time. They recorded their fifth album for once, not in Dave's garage studio. They finally were like, maybe we should maybe we should invest in a real studio. Yeah, maybe. So they built a recording studio in L.A. They could have just went to a different studio, but that's fine. Just build it from scratch. No, Dave says, (laughs) I think Dave owns three, at least three studios that I know of. There's the one in his house because he still has his house in Alexandria. Mm -hmm. Um, There's Studio 606 West, which is the one they built in 2005. And then I think he owns one in Texas. Okay. Um, and I know this, it's either Texas or Nashville because the Struts have recorded there. Oh, nice. Um, so the, the, the fifth album they're working on in this new studio. And he has this crazy idea that it's actually going to be two discs in this one album. The first one is full of rock songs and the other is acoustic tracks. Mm. Revolutionary, you know, never been done before ever, but spice it up a little bit. So they released this album. It's called In Your Honor. It comes out in 2005. This is where we get the best of you, which is one of my favorite. That's a good one. Foo songs. And that September and October, they go on tour with Weezer. That's a good lineup. <laughs> which they called the Foozer Tour. The Foozer. <laughs> I only put that in here. Why do I see like Fozzie Baird like emceeing that show? I don't know, but uh, I'm mad that I was only 12 at this time because that would be a That'd be Dope one show. Hell of a show. On this tour, Lemmy from Motorhead joined the band on stage <laughs> because I forgot to mention this when I mentioned Probot, but now's the good time to mention it. Dave worked with Lemmy to make Probot. That is one hell of a lineup. It is. It is. I don't know why to put that in my notes. Um, also, as a surprise performance at one of these shows, 
Brian May and Roger Taylor came up on sh- on stage to play We Will Rock You. Oh, that's awesome. Which, can you imagine, you go to see Foo Fighters, and you're already hyped because you're there seeing Foo Fighters, and then fucking Brian May and Roger Taylor right. show up? It's kind of overshadowing the Foo Fighters, honestly, it at really that point. It really is. But, I mean, it's kind of an honor to have them on stage, so I, I you got to pay your specs. And if that wasn't enough, also on this tour... No, it wasn't the story. Just kidding. It was 2008. So three years later, uh, they're playing Wembley Stadium and Jimmy Page and John Paul Jones just show up. Why not? So they play rock and roll with Grohl playing drums and Taylor on vocals and ramble on with Grohl on vocals and Taylor on the guitar- on That's the drums. That's cool. Um, and as Jimmy Page and John Paul Jones are walking off before the Foos go into their final encore of Best of You... Dave Grohl just gets the microphone and goes, welcome to the greatest fucking day of my whole entire life. Because <laughs> he got to play with, with Zeppelin on stage. Yeah. Like, that, you don't beat that. Th- that doesn't happen. Like, Jimmy Page doesn't show up a lot to right, things. Right, correct. So very, very true. Roger and Brian are much more likely to show up to things. Uh, so jumping ahead to 2010, they start working on their seventh studio album. Surprise, they're back in the garage. <laughs> they're like, you know, this million dollar studio? Nah. Garage. <laughs> garage. Um, but it works. So they get, okay, if, if the the split rock acoustic thing, wasn't, mm-hmm. it wasn't that weird. It wasn't that revolutionary. Dave gets in his head this time that they're only going to record using analog equipment. They recorded it. They use no computers, not even to mix or master. Which sounds just like a pain in the ass to me. Yeah, it, it sounds like it, it's just putting extra steps that technology has let us avoid. We have technology. <laughs> this album is called Wasting Light. It's got really cool album art. Um, I don't, I'm not the Foo Fighters, so I don't understand the decision to record analog. But it was worth it because it was namina- naminated, nominated for six Grammys and won five of them. So... Shit worked out. And things started to happen on social media during this time. They're posting, you know, album teaser content. Mm-hmm. And just in the background is our boy Pat Smear. Pat Smear. See, once a year. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a little bit, probably a little bit overdue, but. He was overdue. Um, Dave starts tweeting these pictures and everyone's like, wait a minute. Like computer in hand ha- why is he there and that december they confirmed that he had played on every track of this album and was coming back to the band as a full-time core member once again that's awesome in august or on august 27th 2012 the foo fighters they're touring this album they're in europe they're they finished with oh this isn't the story i thought i was going into they finished this tour with headlining at the Reading and Leeds Festival, which are huge festivals in the UK. Mm-hmm. They come back to the States. They perform a show at the Fillmore in Charlotte mm. as a benefit for Rock the Vote. And that show happened concurrently with the 2012 Democratic National Convention, like three doors down. Oh, dang. Uh, which announced... Oh, sorry, which was announced two weeks prior. Tickets to this 2,000-person show, the Foo Show. yeah. Sold out in under 60 seconds. Yeah, that's a small venue. Oh, yeah. They they are very 
well known for doing these surprise shows in small venues. They very recently, like last September, while I was on my little struts tour, they announced a show at the Anthem in DC, I think. Mm. It's either the Anthem or another like very small venue for the next day. Tickets sold out in like a minute. Damn. Like I I'm spontaneous, but I'm not that spontaneous to buy right. a, a sh- ticket to go to DC the following day for a show. But that's just something they do. They like announce these really small shows that are really cool, and they sell them out in five seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, that show is important a because it happened in conjunction with the DNC, but also because that set the record for the longest set the band had played to date, with a set list clocking in. Just under three and a half hours. I mean, The Cure did four, so <laughs> I'm not that impressed. The set list of 36 songs. Um, I have not seen The Foos, but the struts opened for The Foo Fighters uh, a couple years ago on their tour. And so I have friends who tell me stories of this tour. And apparently that's how Dave starts the show is, Are you motherfuckers ready for three hours of rock and roll? <laughs> I and love it. He's not kidding when he says he's three hours. Take the man literally. They they just keep cranking out albums. They're very much a every two al- two years you release an album band. So as soon as they finish this this record breaking three and a half hour set, they set to work on their eighth studio album, which is really cool. Uh, they start teasing it in January 2014. They post a picture to Facebook. And it's just like a shot of these master tapes laying on the ta- the mixing booth. And it just says LP8. Mm-hmm. That's how they announced that it's coming. Um, so that just simmers for a couple months. In May, they announced that the album would come out in November. But surprise, they're commemorating the album and their 20th anniversary of a band with an HBO TV series directed by Dave Grohl titled Sonic Highways. And we just praised HBO Max in our last recording. HBO Max does not have these fucking episodes. So I want a refund. Yeah, that's some BS. But someone did put them on YouTube, so... MVP. Um, so they wrote eight songs and recorded them in eight different studios in eight different American cities and did a video capturing the history and feel of each town that they wrote and recorded these songs in, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I did not have time to watch them, but I'm going to go back and watch them after because that's just a really cool concept. Yeah, like totally. I love that concept. The album would come out a month after the show premiered and... It had more. I think it has more than eight songs. Don't quote me on that because it's a really short album if it only has eight songs. Uh, around this time, the band just, I love that. They're so goofy. They really are. And so random. So to prep for the release of this album, they play three performances under the alias The Holy Shits. <laughs> <laughs> he did hate the name. In September 2014 uh, in England. And at one of those shows at the Concord 2 Club in Brighton, Dave Grohl invited lead singer Jay Apperly of the tribute band just called UK Foo Fighters, terrible cover band name, on stage to sing, which I think is adorable. I love it. You know that made that guy's life. Yeah. Um, on May 20th, 2015, the Foo Fighters were the final musical guest to perform on The Late Show with David Letterman. He... David Letterman very publicly announced that, like, Foo Fighters were his favorite band. Mm -hmm. So he chose them to be there on his final night of hosting the show. 
Um, they had been on the show several times, um, and he played, I think Best of You is his favorite song, mm-hmm. and so they sent him off with his favorite song, which I think is sweet. That's nice. June 12th, 2015, we get the legendary Dave breaking his leg during a show story. Oh, I forgot about that. So, for some reason, he thought that, like, the stage was kind of high, he thought he could make the jump into the pit, and he did that. And immediately, immediately knew he fucked up. He like, did what Chris Novoselic did, but for real. But for real. He, uh, he writes about it in his book and he was like, I knew immediately, like, that was the dumbest fucking thing I've ever done in my life. <laughs> they take him backstage. There's a doctor back there and the doctor's like, you have to go to the hospital. And Dave's like, no, like, there's people out there. I can't tell them to go home. He's like, can you set it? And he's like, well, yes, but I have to keep pressure on it. And Dave's like, we're coming out on stage with me. (laughs) So they did this three hour set with this doctor just chilling on stage, holding this thing around his foot so that it wouldn't like flop out of place. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But he did the set, which I respect because he was in, he was in a lot of pain. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he did. He just sat in a chair, did this, and they immediately flew him to London for surgery. He did have to get six metal pins to stabilize his fracture, um, and they did have to cancel the rest of the European tour, which sucks. Understandable though. Yeah. Like at least he like gave it his all for that one show. Oh yeah, and he even says like he was running on pure adrenaline. Like he that he doesn't really remember what happened, but he was he was hype about it. Mm-hmm. They they had this European tour. They had to cancel it. They had planned to follow that tour with a North American tour because that's usually how you tour things. Yeah. To promote Sonic Highways. This would start at a special 4th of July event in D.C. I think, I think at National Stadium. I may be wrong on that. Um, but it would kick off the band's 20th anniversary. Oh, no. RFK Stadium. So this is going to be a huge party. It's going to have Joan Jett, Hart, LL Cool J. Mm. Gary Clark Jr. and Buddy Guy. But everyone started thinking, like, um, Dave's leg is broken. Like, they just canceled their European tour. Is this still happening? And Dave was like, fuck yeah, this is still happening. So they showed up. They played a played to a crowd of 48,000 people. Wow. And obviously, Dave can't stand. So how does he combat this issue? He shows up in a custom-built moving throne, which he claimed to have designed himself while on painkillers from his surgery. <laughs> so they uh, they do the show. They realize they can they can carry off the rest of the the North American tour, and so they change it from the Sonic Highways tour to the Broken Leg tour. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That same year, like I said, the, the band just gets really great around this time in their history. They that's July and August. They're playing in Kansas City, Missouri, and this is where you get the infamous trolling of the Westboro Baptist Church. Yes, he's done that <laughs> several times. They've done that several times. I love it. Um, like even I'd say probably at least ten times. Yeah, Dave loves trolling the Westboro Baptist Church, and I love when they troll the Westboro yes. Baptist Church. November fifteen, they surprise drop a free EP called Saint Cecilia. And they were like, hey, here's a free album. By the way, we're going on a hiatus. Okay, bye. And everyone was like, the fuck? Like, Mm -hmm. are are you guys breaking up? It was a compliment sandwich. Yes. It's like, here's the album. We're leaving. Enjoy the music. Exactly. And so immediately rumors are like, they're breaking up. They got to be breaking up. 
And so they're like, we're not fucking breaking up. So what they do, that that dropped in November. In March, they come out with a mockumentary video, which <laughs> portrays Dave leaving the band to pursue an electronic music career. And they're like, don't worry, guys. Nick Lachey is going to be our new group, our new lead singer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love them so much. Uh, and the, the video ends with, for the millionth time, we're not breaking up and nobody's fucking going solo. Literally, like, you have to realize, this is 2015 still, right? Yes. So they've been together for 20 years. They want a break. Th- give them a little bit of a break. Give them a year or two off. It's okay. Bands can, excuse me, take breaks without breaking up. Like, yes. It's fine. Um, But this hiatus only lasted, like, so that was March 2016 early 2017 and they're like hey guys we're back in the studio we're recording our ninth album and then september 2017 the album concrete and gold comes out obviously we're getting very close to the present time yeah um but they're not chilling on october 2019 the band announced that they were working on their 10th studio album and they leading up to this they start releasing a series of eps under the umbrella name of the Foo Files, <laughs> Foo Files, which is adorable, um, and this is just like previously unreleased B sides, live performances, like just stuff to yeah. to tide fans over while Wet they get the whistle, if you will. Yeah, but I just love the name Foo Files. Yes, like, I just picture um, what's the what's the X Files? Yes, that's all I can think of, which fits the alien aesthetic. They really missed the gun on uh, not having an alien as their band mascot. Correct. Um, February 2020, <laughs> you know, right before the world went to shit, they were like, hey, guys, we have a new album coming out this year. But by May, they were like, maybe not because yeah, we're going to wait. <laughs> there's a pandemic. They said we kind of shelved it for now. We got to figure out what exactly is going to happen. Uh, it did get postponed about a year. It dropped on February 5th. 2021 medicine at midnight that january they played at the presidential inauguration of joe biden which is cool uh anytime you get to play at a presidential inauguration Mm -hmm. it's pretty fucking cool february 10th 2021 so very recent they were announced as one of the 2021 rock and roll hall of fame nominees and it was their first year of eligibility because their debut album had just come out 25 years prior so um they they were officially inducted i don't know who inducted them i didn't write that down but um they're in the rock and roll hall of fame and they deserve to be there they absolutely do again these guys are so fucking goofy for record store day which last year's record store day was split up into three releases for some covid reason Mm -hmm. so for the july one because normally it's in april they released an album of disco covers called Hail Satin. <laughs> and it wasn't by the Foo Fighters. It was by the DGs. The DGs. Um, so it contains four BG covers and a cover of Andy Gibbs Shadow Dancing, plus five live versions of the Medicine at Midnight, their 2021 album. They're just album. having fun. They're just vibing. Like, they're just, they're so fun. Uh, just last December 2021, so like four months ago. 2022. Twenty No. December 2021. Oh, December. I'd say it's in February. No. December 2021. 
Uh, we woke up that day, and they just dropped a teaser for the movie Studio 666, which I haven't That's seen right. yet. Um, but I would like to see, because I'm assuming the HBO Max is going to have it soon. Yeah. Um, and then at the time of this recording, March 26, 2020, they dropped a new single yesterday. And so I wrote. They and dropped I, a new single yesterday? Yeah, I think it might be from the movie. I'm not sure. I haven't oh listened to God. it yet. Uh, I was really busy yesterday. Um, and I wrote in my notes that they're not stopping soon, but um, they might take a little bit of a hiatus, guys, because of the loss of Taylor Hawkins. Um, so my final section is just, I call it Foo Fun Facts. Foo Fun Facts? It's things that don't fit anywhere else. Um, so, like I said, they're just, they're just really fun. They're a really fun band. They developed a funny habit for what they do with their tour writers. Like, most places, they're like, here's a list of food I want. Yeah. Okay, have this ready. In 2011, they turned their writer for the Wasting Light Tour into a full-length coloring book. It had activity pages that reminded venues and promoters which foods the band liked to consume. <laughs> One page asked the reader to circle the album, the items that belong in a salad, hinting that items such as a hammer, a tooth, Richard Pryor, and a UFO are not appropriate. <laughs> oh, um... So also Dave Grohl doesn't really he I don't he doesn't really know the correct quote unquote way to play guitar. Mm-hmm. He can't remember the names of chords, um, and he approaches guitar playing like a drummer. So for instance, for Everlong, he's like the low E string is the kick drum, the A and D string are the snares, the G B mm. and E are the cymbals. That's smart. So you have to have a kick snare relationship in the riff. And then the chorus comes around, you wash all the high strings as you would wash a cymbal. And it makes it percussive and gives it the dynamic. Hmm. Which it's probably why the Foo Fighters have such a unique sound. Yeah. Because he's not playing the guitar. He's a guitar he's player. The, he's playing the drums on the guitar. Yeah, pretty much. Which is super cool. Um, my last Foo fun fact. Dave Grohl used a Grammy Award as a doorstep for several years. <laughs> a doorstop i too would do the same um so his bedroom door would trap him inside just like the door would slam and so he just used a grammy to hold it open um that award has now been replaced with an mtv music video award and the grammy has been moved to the shelf (laughs) (laughs) rotate them out if i had awards i would sacrifice my mtv award before my grammy yes to be on the ground but you know i appreciate it for just the aesthetic (laughs) <laughs> and the message it sends. That's a very punk thing to do. I hope. The pink, punk ethos is in there. If I was Dave Grohl, I'd put a Grammy at every one of my doors to hold it open. And it'd be like, don't forget whose house you live in. <laughs> I mean, he literally probably has more Grammys to doors in his house. Let's be honest. Probably. I mean, he won five out of six on one album. So. Yeah. And they're nominated again this year for best rock album with Medicine at Midnight. Uh, which uh, that category <clears throat> sucks because it's all men, but yeah, no, you don't say, <laughs> you don't say. But that is the Foo Fighters, and I'm still kind of shocked by the fact that we chose this, delayed our recording even from Tuesday, and yeah. woke up to the the news of Taylor Hawkins. Like when you texted me, I was like, "There's no fucking way. There's no fucking way." I mean, it's just very eerie. It's very. And eerie. if you listen to our podcast. This shit happens to us all the time, it feels like. Like weird coincidences. Like Very we'll cover weird coincidences. But this one just sucks. Like we covered ABBA and like the 
day before our episode went live, they announced a new album for the first time yeah. in 20 years. Or, yeah, 20 years. Um, right. No one has died previously, so this one No, I was supposed to cover hurts. Meatloaf, remember? Oh, yeah. And then I chose Alonis. I think it was Alonis. I think I chose Alonis, and I was like, nah, I'm not going to do Meatloaf. And then literally the day, like, the second day I made that, he dies. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, that is part of running a rock history show. But this one just sucks, Our man. subjects are not getting any younger, but Taylor was only 50 years old. Like, Yeah. And this was really sudden. Like, We don't know how he passed. They were supposed to play a show, I think a virtual Lollapalooza show last night, and it got canceled last 15 minute. 15 minutes before. And then they came out and said he had passed. So it's super sudden and super tragic. And the post that got me this morning was Violet Grohl. Dave's teenage daughter just saying my life wouldn't be the same without you I miss you and I was like fuck man that sucks that sucks so our thoughts are with the whole band Dave Grohl especially and the Hawkins family and the Hawkins family thank you for listening you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts Spotify and Good Pods Special thanks to Death of Fawn for our intro riff. You can visit our website at shewillrockyou.com. There you'll find the social show notes, contact us, and merch. Other than that, don't do drugs. Don't do drugs.